You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is a storm weekend, as we might have another hurricane that'll hit us now that the summer is over. But it is not last year. It's not the other year before. It is a new year and a new hurricane season. I hope everybody takes care of themselves throughout the weekend. Stay safe and stay inside dry. Speedy, what is up? Yes, absolutely. Everybody stay safe out there. Everybody try to stay inside as much as you can if possible. And there's another storm that hit New York unfortunately with my New York Giants as they get blown out on Thursday night by the San Francisco 49ers. And it doesn't look like there's an end in sight with all these injuries and no wide receivers. I think they got robbed. I thought it was just terrible refing, And I, I think that the Giants were put in a bad position right before the game even started. With all the injuries they've had, losing Saquon Barkley for at least three games, it doesn't benefit the New York Giants. You're looking at a defense that has not played great either with last year looking good and this year does not know how to stop the run or a slant pass. And now the Jets this weekend have a chance to go up 2-1 to one in the division. Two wins in the division definitely benefits the New York Jets moving on throughout this season, especially playing a really bad game against the Dallas Cowboys last week in Dallas. So hopefully the New York Jets against the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, have something up their sleeve on Sunday. We have a great show lined up for you guys. We will be talking to former Giants Super Bowl champion guard Rich Soybert. He'll be joining a little bit later in the show. He's fantastic. He's a great, great guest, and I think all the Giant fans are going to really enjoy this interview. Reports say that Aaron Rodgers could come back this season if the Jets make the playoffs. So if anybody believes Aaron Rodgers is trying to make an attempt to come back this year. You've heard it on the Pat McAfee show. He absolutely plans to come back. We'll see how long it's going to take and if he does play this year. So it's a very interesting comeback and maybe an interesting story as he could be the first quarterback to ever come back from an Achilles injury in the same year. Saquon Barkley out for at least three weeks with a right ankle injury. It is not a high ankle sprain in my eyes. I think that if he's only going to be out for three weeks it means that it's not as bad as everybody says it is. So is it a good sign for the New York Giants? It doesn't sound like it's a good sign, but nevertheless, he's not out for a significant amount of time. So I think the Giants will be okay, and I still think the Giants' schedule could work in their favor moving forward. Three for all picks of the week. NBA, could Giannis be traded to the New York Knicks sometime this season? That's a huge story that's going out, not just with the Knicks. There are quite a few teams interested in Giannis if he does become available. The Knicks are just one of those teams that Giannis would like to play for. If Giannis becomes available, there's a very good chance that the Knicks would be one of the favorites of getting him. James Dolan says he doesn't like being an owner of a sports team. What does that spell for the New York Rangers and the New York Knicks? Well, billions of dollars for the teams, the Knicks and the Rangers. Well, every fan might get their wish. So I believe James Dolan will sell the team one way or another. It's not going to happen overnight, but I do believe after he gets through his Las Vegas building, I do believe that James Dolan will sell the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. MLB, Shea Otani gets surgery and will only hit next season. Tommy Fan says this year's Mets team lacked work ethic. As
as Tommy Fan is no longer a New York Met, well, didn't have such a great year, couldn't stay healthy, but nevertheless, he's now speaking out about the New York Mets and their work ethics. And Moneyline Mania with Paulo a little bit later in the show. No Chaz, no Wes, no problem. Let's get into it. Aaron Rodgers could come back this season if the Jets make the playoffs. It is a story. He's been on the Pat McAfee show the last two weeks. He's now out of a cast. He already came out and said that he will not join the team until he can walk on his own. But hey, if Aaron Rodgers believes he could be Superman on this injury, why wouldn't he come back from an injury like this? Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show. He was speaking about he wants to make history. He wants to show everybody that he can come back from an injury like this and still be at the top of his game. He doesn't care that he's 39 years old. He don't care if he's 45 years old. He believes that he can still play the game at a high level. Sources say from ESPN that there are possibilities that Aaron Rodgers could return this season during the playoffs. Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show on Friday, give me whatever you believe that I am and I will come back. Cam Akers and Brandon Graham are two players that have come back from Achilles injuries in less than a year recently. They both don't look very good, by the way. The same doctors Rodgers got the surgeries from is the same ones that Kobe had surgery from in 2013. Kobe returned in eight months. Robert Sala says the team will stick with Zach Wilson as the starting quarterback, but could bring in a veteran quarterback during the season. I will believe this. Zach Wilson, unless he completely screws up, will be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets this year. Is Aaron Rodgers coming back? I'm sure Aaron Rodgers wants everybody to believe that he is coming back this year. I have a lot of respect for Aaron Rodgers. For everybody that doubts this guy, speaks badly about this guy, not even on the field, but off the field. This guy has been attacked, not only from people that have said that he's not a good family man, he doesn't get along with his family, and that had a lot to do with his girlfriend. There were quite a few players over the last couple of years that are on sports radio shows now that still don't speak highly of Aaron Rodgers. We've had a bunch of his his ex-teammates on this show, every single one of them that have been on this show says not only is he a good teammate, he's a great person on and off the field. I don't know how bad this Achilles tear was, but obviously Aaron Rodgers is making an attempt to come back this year. And that's what makes Aaron Rodgers special because most quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford being one of them, if Matthew Stafford teared his Achilles early this season, he knew and he would tell you that his season is over. Kirk Cousins. Cousins, he tears his Achilles. In the beginning of the season, he would tell you this season is over. There are very few players in NFL history with bad injuries, superstar players that try to push their way back, not only for their teammates, but for themselves. Tom Brady, when he tore his ACL, was trying to get back on the field. If the Patriots made the playoffs, which they missed the playoffs with 11 wins. With a tiebreaker. Tom Brady tried to come back. Peyton Manning for years had neck problems. Came back year after year after year until his neck couldn't handle it anymore. Then he had to have surgery. Then there was a whole accusations of steroids and HGH. Then he was obviously traded to the Broncos. And then he won a Super Bowl at the end of his career. When you look at star quarterbacks at their ages, like Aaron Rodgers, 39 years old, when you see an injury like this, 
you usually say it's season ending and career ending. And after having all the fans, having those hard knocks cameras follow him around, everything that we saw this offseason, his growth with the team, leadership, pulling players on the side, telling them that they're going to be taken out to lunch and sit with him, get to know him as a player, not just as a captain, not just as a leader, but as a person. That shows you that Aaron Rodgers was all about the team. It was never about himself. He wanted to be traded to the Jets. Because he saw that this team had something and he wanted to bring something to this team, to this organization that they haven't felt in 53 years. Aaron Rodgers, who always has been playing hurt a lot in his career in Green Bay, besides the 2017 season when he tore his collarbone, every other time that he was dealing with some kind of injury, he fought hard really to come back. Think about 2013. 2013, the Packers were 6-8. and eight. Aaron Rodgers comes back at the end of the season. They steal the playoff berth from the Bears on that big throw to Randall Cobb the year before they won the Super Bowl. He was dealing with a lot of injuries that year too. So it shows you that Rodgers is a lot more of a team player than these random players like to say as far as the injury itself yeah it's definitely possible with those kinds of recoveries too now obviously it's different for somebody like that compared to Cam Akers who's a younger running back but Brandon Graham's an older player Brandon Graham's about 34 years old too and he came back in eight months and plays a position that takes a lot more strain on your body there was one quarterback that played with a torn ACL and that was Philip Rivers in the playoffs yep. for the Chargers there are quarterbacks over the years that have played with career or maybe even season ending injuries and have gone through a certain amount of games to get to that position. But this wasn't a playoff game. This was the first game of the season, four plays in. Aaron Rodgers was not going to play with a torn Achilles going through the first game of the season. It wasn't going to happen. There are quarterbacks that take beatings. I mentioned Matthew Stafford, but if Matthew Stafford tore his Achilles, he would not be playing. Right now, Matthew Stafford, no matter how well the Rams are playing right now, and they are playing well, even without Cooper Cup, they're playing great football. Matthew Stafford does not want to be there. He doesn't want to play with a young team. He wants to win Super Bowls. Matthew Stafford is 34 years old. He's not getting any younger. He's on his final year of his contract. Who is going to give Matthew Stafford an extension next year? He'll be 35 years old. If he has a good season, there might be a veteran team that will bring him in as the starter or the backup to their rookie starter in case their rookie starter gets hurt. Aaron Rodgers was everything to the New York Jets this year. And now that Zach Wilson could be the starter for the rest of the season, everybody's going to itch their head throughout this season. And one of the main reasons why we've seen what Zach Wilson has done the last two seasons and he is choked week in and week out. Now he's going into week three against the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick and everybody would probably pick the Patriots to win the game. Why? Because Zach Wilson in the four games that we've seen against Bill Belichick just got rumped. You wonder, can Aaron Rodgers come back this year with an injury like that? A lot of experts and doctors say it's impossible. How could a guy a quarterback who is 39 years old heal in five months and be ready if the Jets make the playoffs in the sixth month and play a full game of football. It's almost impossible. I have read at least three doctors. They have all said there is no way Aaron Rodgers comes back this year. It would be so impressive if he even steps on the field again this year. That's how bad the injury was. If Aaron believes he can do it, if Aaron believes he can get back on the field and do the things that Aaron does best, then let him believe that. I just don't believe it's going to happen. I wouldn't be excited knowing that I am going to depend on Zach Wilson week in and week out the Jets game. The Jets couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball because it was too much pressure for Micah Parsons.
But Aaron came out and said it's going to be a couple of weeks, but he can't wait to go back to the facilities and train back with the fellas. By the time he even goes back to the training facilities of the New York Jets, it could be week eight. The Jets could be completely out of the playoffs. The risk comes with this playoff scenario, too. Even if the Jets do squeak in, are you going to rush him back just for that, just to have him potentially get hurt again? The Jets have to be in good standing, maybe not as a division winner, but at least as a good quality wildcard team that says, we're just a quarterback away. Saquon Barkley suffers a right ankle injury. Not surprised, and it should not make you happy. ESPN reports they don't believe Saquon has a high ankle sprain and only expects him to miss three weeks. Saquon sprained that ankle in 2019, causing him to miss over a month. The Giants' next three games, they verse the Seahawks and then on the road back-to-back against the Dolphins and the Bills. Saquon Barkley is the Giants' offense. He has been the Giants' offense for years. He hasn't been healthy for years. He's had two really good seasons and two other seasons that he wasn't healthy. But when he is on the field... This man is as good as any running back in the NFL. And with all the incentives the Giants gave him so he can reach that $14 million mark, could miss three games. There's no way he's going to hit those incentives. And the Giants, who are they going to depend on for the next three weeks? Jalen Hyatt? Darren Waller, who can't stay healthy? And don't tell me it's Breida. They had a chance to go after Kareem Hunt. Why don't you go after Leonard Fournette? You need something in the backfield. If you expect to beat the Seahawks, definitely the Dolphins. You cannot be a one-dimensional team. And with Saquon Barkley, he made you more than a one-dimensional team. Because he could catch the ball, screen passes, put him in the flats. And he can run the ball any way you want. Left, right, or up the gut. And the Giants do not look good. They came back from a 28-7 deficit. And I give Daniel Jones a lot of credit because it had a lot to do with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley on why they came back. And that's been happening for the last two seasons. They give their quarterback $40 million in the offseason, and they decide not to give their star running back a long-term deal. But they give him incentives. Incentives that he has to hit if he is expecting to make $14 million. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for him because, again, I think he would have still been able to get that kind of upside, whether it was with the Giants or with another team, because of the value that he is to that offense. The Giants are pretty much rotating wide receivers because they just can't find anything consistent. And he finally played well, but it's against Arizona. We were talking about how hard their schedule was at the beginning of the year. The Giants just really had to weather the storm and hope to be 500. This is absolute worst-case scenario already with Darren Waller, Andrew Thomas, who didn't play. Now Saquon hurt. Yeah, you're really going to have to try to do a coaching masterclass. What do you do in the offseason? Let's say this completely collapses for the New York Giants. Do you go after a quarterback if you fall in the top 10 this year? Or do you go after another offensive lineman, which they're craving? Their offensive line is horrendous. In week one, it was absolutely disgraceful. And in week number two, against an Arizona defense, that will probably be ranked somewhere between 20 and 25 by the end of the season. This is not a good defense. They traded Simmons to the Giants. But against the Giants... For three quarters, they dominated. Absolutely dominated the Giants. The Giants could not stop a slant pass to save their life. That goes to Wink Martindale, who everybody loved last year. Oh my God, this guy's a genius. This guy took over the defense. He is going to find the Giants a way to win every single night because of this defense. Because he can get at the quarterback. He could blitz in so many different directions. For the last two weeks, where's the blitz coming from? This is a defensive team that's better on paper, too. If you look at the Giants right now, losing Saquon Barkley is like losing the quarterback. This line, you have a rookie at center in Schmidt. You have a bunch of journeymen, except their right tackle, who's been absolutely horrible. If you look at the situation for both New York teams, they're very similar. It's just different. The Giants lose their best player, which is their running back. 
The Jets lose their best player, which is a quarterback. And both teams are going to be dependent on second-tier players. And creativity of play I mean, if you look at Zach Wilson right now, do you even think he's a second-tier player? I wouldn't even say that. And I don't blame Zach Wilson on why they lost against the Cowboys on Sunday because it wasn't his fault. He did throw three interceptions. He did force three interceptions in the second half. And that was a lot to do with he was trying to open up the field, open up opportunities for the wide receivers. And the wide receivers couldn't get open but Garrett Wilson. He was the only one that was open the whole game. And he still only caught the ball twice. That has to say something about Zach Wilson. That has something to say about the offensive line. That too. That couldn't protect him. Dwayne Brown is horrible. Going back to the Giants. You have to worry about knowing that Saquon is not going to be in the backfield. Saquon is not going to hide the deficiencies of this offense, this offensive line, for the next couple of weeks. And by the time he comes back in week six, this season could be over for them. In the NFC East right now, you have the Cowboys and the Eagles. Both teams are 2-0. and Even Washington is 2-0. <laughs> they did come back. They did come back in a game any other NFL organization you probably wouldn't have come back from. The Arizona Cardinals are trying to lose. They're 0-2. They could have won both games. Arizona should be 2-0 right now. But why? Fourth quarter, they choked in both games. They had the lead in both games. And they didn't just have the lead against the Giants. They had a three-touchdown lead against the New York Giants. You look at the specific situations for both New York teams. Both teams are in a bad position. The Giants' the next games are all against good teams. I know Seattle hasn't looked great yet. You got Miami and you got Buffalo. But all those teams have good coaching, good defensive coaching, and a talented defense on paper. Yes, Seattle did struggle against the run last year. Yes, Miami struggled against the run at certain points this year. But still, that's going to be a very difficult matchup for all these backup runners. Backs. Brian Dable's going to have to pull out every creative bit. It took him forever, even in the Cardinals game, to start running Daniel Jones, too. Like, why are you not trying to do that more often? This is a Jonathan Gannon defense. Philly, their defense has struggled against running quarterbacks last year, too. And you have to start there because the Giants are not going to have any trustworthy wide receivers. Even if Darren Waller does play, he might not be 100% healthy either. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our three-for-all picks of the week. All right, score update. I gained a game on you again. The Chiefs knocking off the Jaguars on the under, so I'm up 3 nothing. We have an NFC South triple header. We'll start with the Atlanta Falcons at the Detroit Lions, 46 and a half. This is going to be a close game. I'm going to take the Lions, though. One thing that did impress me last week against Seattle, they were able to stop the run and I don't think Atlanta's still going to run the ball well, but I don't think flashy enough where it's going to carry them. I think they're going to have to throw the ball more. This is the first week Desmond Ritter will be tested, and I think the Lions will be ready for it. So give me Detroit on the over. I've got the Atlanta Falcons Desmond Ritter over the last two weeks with a 68% completion percentage, 352 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. I think he's starting to gain confidence. B. John Robinson is one of the most explosive players in the league, and Mr. Hollins has six receptions for 91 yards this season. I expect him to be even more explosive against the Lions. I don't know what the Lions are yet. They didn't have such a good week last week. I expect them to go home and have even more problems with one of the more explosive offenses in the NFL. Give me the Atlanta Falcons on the over. Alright, New Orleans Saints and the Green Bay Packers, 42 and a half the over-under. I'm going to take the Packers in this one. I think this will be a close game. Good defensive duel. The Saints defense has been great to start this year. The Packers defense has been good. Struggle against the run, but the Saints still missing Alvin Kamara. They get the rookie, Kendra Miller. Is he going to be good enough? I think Chris Olave has a great game, but where's that second option for the Saints? Give me the Packers on the under. The last week of the suspension for Alvin Kamara, Derek Carr's looked pretty good so far and very efficient for this team. 63.8% completion percentage, 533 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. I expect him to go to Green 
Bay and knock off the Green Bay Packers. Chris Olave will have an explosive game. He is, right now has 14 receptions, 198 yards. I expect him to be even more explosive and expect Thomas to be more involved in the offense this week. I have the Saints on the under. All right, Monday Night Football, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa, 45 and a half the over-under. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring game. I definitely like the over. I am still going to take the Eagles. They still have enough weapons. They still have enough offensive line. I don't think Tampa's going to have that same level of pass rush. It will be a close game, but I do think Jalen Hurts finally gets it going. Give me Philly on the over. It's been absolutely amazing what Baker Mayfield has done so far this year. 69.1% completion percentage, 490 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. They have been very explosive. Mike Evans has been one of the best wide receivers in football. Even Chris Godwin has been a pretty good number two this year. Ten receptions for 109 yards. No touchdowns yet, but I expect him to start putting up those numbers very, very soon. But I do believe, even though I do not believe Jalen Hurts has had one of those seasons, it is early. I expect him to be a little bit better. 71.4% completion percentage, 363 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I expect them to run in this game. Swift has looked good so far this year with 29 attempts 178 yards and one touchdown. Had a big explosive week last week. Devontae Smith will have a pretty big game. 11 receptions, 170 yards, two touchdowns so far this year. And A.J. Brown will have a very explosive game. 11 receptions and 108 yards. Give me the Eagles on the over. That is our three-for-all picks of the week. We'll see if you can make up some ground. We have two disagreements this week. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to former Giants Super Bowl champion guard Rich Soybird here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out the Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays now at 7 p.m. You will have the opportunity now not to stay up to 12 a.m. It is now 7 to 10 during the fall and the winter, so stay tuned throughout the week and check out all our great shows. All you have to do is go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't need any further ado, or maybe you want to applaud if you're a Giant fan. We are now talking for the first time to former Giants Super Bowl champion guard, Rich Soybird. Rich, what's up, bud? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys, right? Talk a little bit about Giants and hopefully not the Jets. First of all, buddy. I am a Jet fan. He is a Giant fan. But nevertheless, I understand we've had Brandon on and Brandon loves to attack me in every kind of way because he hates the Jets. And he loves the Eagles. Actually loves the Eagle fans. I've never heard this. He hates the Cowboy fans, but loves the Eagle fans. But he's a Giant. It never made any sense to me when I was interviewed quite a few times. Brandon Jacobs, by the way, Brandon might be owing me nice wonderful tickets to the Jets and Giants game in Week 8. But Rich, how are you doing since your time playing football what have you been doing since you retired i got into coaching high school football so i live in new jersey coach at watchung hills i love it out here i love coaching the kids i don't teach in the school i'm pretty much retired and i just get to coach 13 to 18 year old boys wow. and we get after it on the field i love it i love being part of the game i love helping these kids out i love to win but i love the kids having a good experience over winning you look like a coach there's just something about you but when you're coached by tom coughlin all those years you have to look like a coach and tommy we've been to a couple of his events he's a fantastic person he raises a lot of money throughout his foundations, and he's fantastic. Him and his kids are 
unbelievable. And his wife, fantastic. But what was it like playing for Tom Coughlin? I loved it. He demanded the most out of you. Obviously, you had to be on time, if not five minutes early. But Tom, he was honest. He got after it, and he held you accountable, right? And I think that's what you want as a coach. And if he did something wrong, he let you know it. But he also showed you love when you needed it. So coach is a great man, a great coach. I love him, and I love playing for him. And I don't speak to him enough, but when I do get the chance to speak to him, it's always fun catching back up with him. The controversy that he had with a lot of players, Tiki Barber, obviously, that's why he retired. Michael Strahan, we've heard. Was that as big behind the scenes, like in the locker room, as the media blew it up to be at the time? Michael just needed to show up five minutes early. I didn't have Michael's money to show up on time. I had to come early. It wasn't a distraction. I think Coach grew over the years, and he was still a strict, stern coach, but he saw the other side of things. He held everybody the same way. Like He didn't care if you were Michael Strahan or me. He was going to do the same thing to both of us. So I think that's what I respected the most. Work hard. Work hard, and we all wanted to win. We made a good combo. Rich loves to win. Everything that comes out of Rich's mouth in a sentence is win. win. Be happy, but win. We are talking to former Giants guard Rich Soybert. Rich, 2007 was a fantastic year for the New York Giants. A lot of people thought you were in playoff contenders. You play the Patriots at the end of the season. You sneak into the playoffs, and you make this run. And then you play the undefeated New England Patriots, the fantastic talent of Moss and Brady and Belichick and Will Fork and whatever that team was producing. They were throwing out strikes. What were your thoughts going into the season? What were your thoughts going into the playoffs playing that undefeated New England Patriot team if you made it to the Super Bowl? You know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. We're going to win. <laughs> we're going to win, man. I think every season everybody's got the same shot. You start the season off and if you don't have high expectations, what's the point of playing? Every team starts the season off thinking you're going to win the Super Bowl. We started off 0-2. We went to Washington and we had a goal line stand to beat them, which going on 3 is tough. So we found a way to win that game and then from there it seemed like we were the road warriors, right? We won all of our games on the road. We didn't do well at home, which I don't know why. People always say, hey, how come that year you only won a couple of home games? I don't know why. But once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. It doesn't matter how you get in them, right? Once you get in them, whoever's playing the best at that time is going to have a shot. We went to Tampa, went to Dallas, went to Green Bay, and we beat New England. It was a tough road, but I think I wouldn't want any other way. I think that last game playing against the Patriots, and we played them at the end of the season that year, and we played them tough. It was a shootout. You almost won that game. We did. And now looking back at it, I'm kind of glad we didn't win that game, right? Because who knows the next one would have went. Me personally, I never cared about who I was playing against. I just cared about the number of the guy and what he did. And I think that was kind of our attitude that year is no matter who came out of that tunnel, we were going to give it our best and, and have a shot to win that game. So on that offensive line, which was a loaded offensive line, David Deal, Chris Snee, uh, McKenzie, Sean O'Hara. McKenzie, a Jets draft pick. Yeah, Jets draft pick. <laughs> and then he made the right decision to stay in New York, but go elsewhere. Yeah, by the way, Dr. McKenzie. Dr. Oh. McKenzie, I'm right. sorry. Who is the biggest, like, best personality, the funny guy on the team? And who is the biggest trash talker? I don't think none of us trash talked. I think being an offensive lineman, you just do your own job and you talk to each other in that huddle and figure things out. But I think we actually all had a pretty good relationship, right? We all like to have some fun and we picked on Eli and Eli picked on us and vice versa pretty much the entire year. But that's the way our group was. I always tell people, you don't mess with guys you don't like, right? You only mess with your buddies. And I can't tell you the stuff we did to each other that year, but <laughs> some guys will probably get arrested for it today. O'Hara. Love him. Yeah, I love him too, right? We all love Sean. He's got the pretty blue eyes. Thin now. He lost a lot of weight. Yeah, him and Snead, they can't be happy, right? Like, <laughs> there's no way you're happy in that skin. And Deal, I played next to Deal for all those years and he's coaching down in Memphis now. So we just played well together. I think Snead's a Hall of Famer and he's in the ring of honor. He was a hell of a football player. Sean made the Pro Bowl a couple years, even the year he got hurt and I played center the entire year. He still made the Pro Bowl for some reason. We played well together. It was five guys working as one. We knew what we needed help with and what the other guy needed help with and we got the job done. We are talking to former Giants guard Rich Soybird, the starting left guard of the Super Bowl 2007 champions, New York Giants. Michael Strahan is a very interesting personality. I've met him a couple of times. Funny as hell. He seems like he's life of the party. Wherever he goes with the smile, he knows how to bring people to him. What was it like playing with 
with Michael Strahan. I love the ultimate captain, right? Ultimate leader. He found a way to get us going, even when we didn't think we could do it ourselves. He always had something to say to motivate us. I look back to my rookie year. I was on a drafted free agent from Western Illinois University. When you come in as a young guy that nobody knows, they just stick you somewhere on the old line just to make up that third team. So I was third team right tackle. And being a third team right tackle, I got to go against the first team defensive end, Michael Strahan. <laughs> I learned a lot those first couple weeks and whenever I had chances to go against them. But what I liked about Michael is he always grabbed me to the side and, and coached me up, right? Gave me some pointers about how I could do it better and how I was tipping off the plays. And I think that's the ultimate teammate, right? Somebody that could kick your ass, but then come over and, and tell you how to do it better and, and make me better as a player, make me better as a person to help me to have the long career that I had. He was one of the guys in practice that was coaching me up, which is pretty cool about Mike. We actually had your offensive line coach for the first three years of your career on our show and Jim McNally, really funny Fantastic guy. guy. Tremendous man. stories that he was telling from his coaching days, both with the Giants and all the other teams and when Mighty he went to college. Mouse. So what yeah. was he like? Yeah, the mouse. I love Coach Mouse. Coming in as that young kid from 1AA school, I learned a lot of technique from Coach McNally. And it's funny, I still text him to this day. I'll call him when I can. He still lives up in Buffalo. I got a little lake house up there. I promise him I'll come and buy him lunch whenever I get there. <laughs> awesome coach. He was a technique guy, and he would develop new stuff for us. But he would be a guy where, hey, let's try this today. And if you don't like it, we'll throw it out. And I'm like, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do because I'm young. I have no clue what I'm doing, so I'm going to listen to you. But awesome guy to grow up with my first couple of years. I was blessed with two great offensive line coaches, and I was Coach McNally and Coach Flaherty. I really, truly believe both of those coaches made me the player I was. And then there's Eli Manning. There are a lot of Giant fans that didn't like him. There were Giant fans that absolutely worship him and probably was the greatest quarterback in New York Giants history, but one of the greatest quarterbacks of this era. People don't realize it because they don't really see the numbers for what they were. What was it like playing with Eli? Was he really that funny in the huddle like he is with Peyton on his TV show? When he had to be, he was. Eli, what you see is what you get. That's Eli Manning in the locker room. That's Eli Manning. You go out to dinner. That's Eli Manning when you're peeing next to him. That place in Albany when you're shooting getting wet. He was always calm, no matter what he did. If he threw a touchdown pass or threw a pick, he never got too high, he never got too low, and I think you just feed off of that as a player, right? If you see your quarterback either have a bad play or a great play and he just keeps his head, right? It made when you messed up, you wanted to protect Eli, right? He was a pocket passer. We had to keep him in the pocket. He didn't scramble well. Awesome guy. Great father. What I like is my only daughter and his oldest are about the same age. He has some basketball and he coaches that basketball team. I think he got kicked out of coaching. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> but it's fun. Now that we're both growing up, I can say that. And our kids are playing each other. It's pretty cool to sit back and say, hey, that was my quarterback, and now our kids are playing against each other, and he's still the same guy in the stands. He claps, he cheers, but he never gets too excited, never gets too down. The NFC East rivalries, we were talking about the Cowboys, you in the playoffs in 07, the Eagles were very feisty as well, and Washington, what was those rivalries like? Were they very intense, like we've heard over the years? Oh, they were. I really don't like any of the three. Like you said, Brandon can, you know, the Eagles fans and stuff. I really <laughs> despise the Eagles. I broke my leg playing against the Eagles. They beat me in the playoffs. They beat me some other games. I, I don't like them. They don't like us. I love going to the play. I still remember a story. Akers was their kicker. He kicks the ball off. He was running down the sideline, and he, like, went after Charles Way, who was just the player development guy. Hit him on the sideline. But then, like, Brandon and Luke Petty, you, like, literally picked up Akers and slammed him to the ground and beat the crap out of him. For a few. <laughs> and nobody knew what was going on. We were on offense, and Akers is, like, hobbling across the field to go back to his sideline. They don't like us. We don't like them. That was always a fun game. Dallas, they're a step right above or below Philly, however you want to look at it. Once again, we don't like each other. The last couple of years, Giants fans really hate the Cowboys because we've been pretty bad at, 
against both of those teams. And Washington, it seems like we still do pretty good against Washington. So they're like my least disliked, I guess. Commanders. Commanders. <laughs> it's hard to say that we played against them for all those years. It's hard to play for a guy named Schneider. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of those players are probably shaking their heads now. They're actually happy that Harris is running the organization now. But nevertheless, Schneider was an absolute idiot. We were talking to former Giants guard Rich Soybert. When you look at the league now, you look at the Giants and you have Daniel Jones. And a lot of people compare Daniel Jones to Eli Manning. Maybe he doesn't have the arm strength like Eli, but his composure, his confidence in the pocket. He's a running quarterback more than a throwing quarterback. Do you see this giant team now as something to be compared to of the 2007 or maybe even the 2011 New York Giants? That's hard to say. I like Danny Jones. I think he's a better athlete than Eli is, and Eli probably had a better arm, but Danny can run a little better. I think the offensive line is still developing and growing together as a unit. When Barkley's healthy, he's one of the better guys in the league, but he's banged up right now, and they finally got some weapons on the outside, and the defense, the way they blitz and get after it, it's a different style of football, it looks like, but before the season, I said the Giants, 10-7, and 9-8. Maybe we can still get there after the first two weeks. <laughs> after halftime yesterday, I think I texted all my buddies, and I'm going to find a new team to root for. <laughs> but they flipped the switch, right? And they found a way to win that game, and it sucks to go on too. and if they would have lost that game by a few touchdowns, it would have been miserable this week playing on Thursday night against San Fran, right? So, they found a way to get a win. They got some tough ones coming up. But that's the way you guys were. I mean, you guys found a way to win, and the Giants found a way to win to make the playoffs last year, and they went on a run. They knocked off a Minnesota Vikings team, and then they played a very good Eagles team, and who knows? If they could have gotten over the hump over there, they could have went to the NFC title and maybe go to the Super Bowl. Who knows? Yeah, Football's weird. It doesn't matter how you win, right? Mm. Just find win. I'm a coach now, so I always tell Mike, I don't care if I win 3 nothing or 42-40. to 40, mm-hmm. Right, I'll win and I'll take them all I get. I'm excited for them. Like, I watch them. I got season tickets, right? I sit in the end zone. I watch the games with my kids. Oh, you do one of those? You're like one of those? There I yeah, am. I'm here. I'm here. I've got my ring. Go screw yourself. That Eagles fan have my son push him down the steps. So, you know, that's kind of what I want to do every time I see a different fan. I sit there and I tell people to shut up sometimes, but we're good. I gotta go to a Giants game with you. <laughs> you have to sit in the end zone, our end zone. I like the end zone view, and it's good. I have some good season ticket holders around me, so it's a good group of fans. When people sell their tickets to the opposing fans, I just want to rip their hearts out, but that's life. Your favorite block or favorite play of your career, individual, and who was the toughest defensive lineman you ever played against? My favorite block was we were on Monday Night Football back in the day. I got circled by John Madden, right? And I got like a boom or something. So I, I pulled out in front of Tiki where I ran down the field and I took somebody out and Tiki scored a touchdown and Madden saying my name on TV when I was young and circling me and giving me the boom. I thought that was pretty cool. The toughest D linemen, they're all good. I was an undersized, undrafted left guard. So everybody I went against was a pretty good player. Albert Hainsworth, when he was in Tennessee before he got paid all that money in Washington. Schneider. Uh, a big, fast human being that w- was tough to block. My rookie year, I played San Fran the first week of the season. It was Bryant and Stubblefield, right? The two D tackle. Mm-hmm. in their 15th year playing and I'm a rookie. I remember those guys because I was young and that was my first experience of going against live bullets in real games. But I'll say Hainsworth because of his size and his speed. He was a big boy. Has the team, the 2007 Giants, gotten together and hung out and shoot the you-know-what with each other? Have you guys met up and just talk about that wonderful championship run that you guys had? We get together, right? We all have our lives with our kids and our wives. Like, I'm in Jersey and a lot of the guys are still in New Jersey, so like the old line and Eli, we get to go out to dinner like not as often as we should, but we have like a running text message just like high school kids and we talk pretty much every week especially like O'Hara being on TV or a picture of somebody on Instagram we'll make fun of each other pretty much on a daily basis Eli's the star right now Omaha he's got his production company he's on with his brother all the time they're hilarious I would have never thought ESPN would have them on multiple years and they're like killing it and every single Monday I'll pop them on and Peyton and him sitting there and just making jokes and cracking jokes it's hilarious I can't believe he stays up that late right (laughs) (laughs) Ha 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 ha!
played for those two guys. It is good. I watch them too. Once in a while, I'll be like, I'm just sick of hearing his voice. So I'll flick it over to you. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool watching those guys in ESPN. Like when they're actually talking football and X's and O's and they're drawing up plays. I always said they both should coach. And then Eli should have coached football somewhere, or been a GM or something, or owned a team because him and his brother could probably do pretty well in the in the league. Well, they made enough money so they could buy their own team. They don't want the headache. So. <laughs> Rich, you should go to Eli and say, listen, you've made a couple hundred million dollars. You know, throw me a couple. We need new lights at our football field at the high school. I'm like, dude, can you just buy me some lights? Like 10 bucks out of your pocket, right? It's not a big deal. Did you see the Omaha contract that they got? They're racking in more money now than they were as football players. Sauce. I see like Eli was doing the hot sauce stuff on Twitter and shit, Yeah, it's right? hilarious. And all that stuff. But that's great, right? Like, Eli's Eli. I'm like, I'm proud of him. I'm glad he was my quarterback. We're glad that you joined us. We'd love to get you on again. I know you're a very busy guy. It's football season. Keep up the good work win a championship because it's all about winning right it's all about winning having fun and winning yes rich that's not what you said man you said win first have fun second first have fun second right come on you're my fan let's go yes win first have fun second hopefully the giants can take that mantra on this very difficult schedule and as a jet fan lose first and lose second (laughs) and then force your way out of there We should have the whole offensive line on the show and Eli. That would be interesting, having all these guys and just going back and forth and asking them questions. I'm sure every single one of them will be making fun of each other. Oh, believe me, I've reached out to David Deal a lot, too, to try to get him on, for sure. We definitely got to get David on, because David is an interesting character. He did the Sunday show on WFAN. He's interesting. He could definitely coach, and he's coaching in Memphis now. He's a Memphis coach. I'm proud of him. He got down there a couple years ago, and he loves it, so I'm I'm happy for Dave. Well, I'm happy for you, man, and you keep up the good work and we will reach out to you very very soon and hopefully your Giants make the playoffs I hope not because I'm a Jet fan but nevertheless whoever wins the Jets Giants game this year hopefully it's the Jets because Brandon Jacobs owes me tickets if the Jets have a better record than the Giants by the time week eight comes around then he has to take me and Speedy out to a luxurious dinner and take us out to the Giant and Jet game and if the Giants have a better record than the Jets I have to take him and his son and Speedy out to a luxurious dinner and take them out to the Giants and Jets game. His so. son's an offensive lineman, too. Five-star yep. offensive lineman. This kid's legit. I will drive so I can eat the free meal when you guys go on this game. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. The great Rich Soybert. He is fantastic, Speedy. It was a great interview. I definitely want to get him on the show again. Yeah, you definitely want to go to a Giants game with him. We might be going to one with Brandon Jacobs if he'll ever respond, but Rich Soybert, not like Brandon Jacobs and liking the Eagles fans, that's for sure. Well, definitely as he has his son pushing him down the stairs. But that's a whole nother story. When we come back, could Giannis be traded to the New York Knicks sometime this season? We'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy. PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week including The Loudmouth which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. with me and Speedy PD. Check out our times and our locations and places that you can come and see us if we're live in any particular place all you have to do is go to worldwide sports radio 
Com. Oh my God, if you're a New York Knicks fan or if you're a James Dolan fan, well, ladies and gentlemen, I've got something to tell you. James Dolan speaks out this week and tells the New York Times that he doesn't really like owning sports teams. Dolan also added that the Knicks and the Rangers are near and dear to his heart, but will not buy another sports franchise. Dolan has also said that he has no plans to sell the Knicks or the Rangers anytime soon. Dolan has had many controversies while owning the Knicks, including sexual harassment lawsuits, facial reconnection to ban certain fans from MSG, or maybe just ex-players, Charles Oakley, and beef with Charles Oakley. The Knicks have made the playoffs just eight of the 24 years when Dolan has owned the team. The Rangers have made the playoffs 13 of the 24 years Dolan has owned the team, but has only appeared in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2014. What does this tell you, New York Nick and Ranger fans? Right now, James Dolan is taking care of something in Vegas. When that is done being built, James Dolan's plan is to sell the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. The only reason why he hasn't is because he's putting a lot of money and he's investing a lot of time and money into this project he's doing in Vegas. When it is done, which supposedly is supposed to be done at the end of this year, beginning of 2024, I believe we're going to hear a lot of stories Coming out, not only in the New York Times, in the Daily News, Newsday, that James Dolan is going to be looking for buyers for the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. He will never sell Madison Square Garden. Nah. He is making a lot of money over there. He will negotiate a deal with whoever buys those teams and those organizations from him where he can get a percentage of whatever those games bring in when it comes to fans and food and whatever, I believe James Dolan is planning to sell these two teams. Him coming out and saying that he doesn't like owning sports teams only tells you that he doesn't want to do it anymore. He wants the money. He's going to make between 11 and $12 billion off the sale. His father bought the Knicks and bought the Rangers for $15, 20000000 altogether. And now he's going to sell all those teams for about $11 billion. Why would he want to keep the Rangers and the Knicks? They don't win anything. That's not going to sell to any of the fans. And I think the fans will be very, very happy if he sells the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. Knicks fans have been waiting for that, especially for the last... So will Charles Oakley. 10-15 years, yes. Maybe we'll get LeBron James when that happens. When he's like 80 years old. Maybe LeBron James will buy the Knicks. I do not want him. He might lure all the players here. He loves to lure players there anyway. He doesn't have $7 billion. But even so, like, yeah, that kind of investment alone for whatever he's trying to do in Vegas, it's probably something entertainment related, especially with his music. Keeping Madison Square Garden as long as he has with all the concerts that they have too. It seems like that's the direction he wants to go on. Why not? Seven, eight billion dollars, whatever the sale would be for the New York Knicks right now. It's, it would be insane. It would be record-setting for any sport right now. I and mean, we, we were talking about it with the NFL teams that just got purchased with the, with Washington, with Denver in recent years. The Knicks are even more valuable in their sport with the NBA than those teams being in New York. So why would not James Dolan not want to take that kind of investment and take it to Las Vegas, which we've already seen be a hotspot, not only for the sports teams recently, but for all kinds of entertainment, for casinos over there. It's been growing a lot even since like, when I was a kid, too. There's like all these new hotels and casinos I never even heard of. I think Steve Cohen would be interested in buying the Knicks or the Rangers. I could see him doing that. He is the richest owner in professional baseball. He spits out money. What he does when it comes to Wall Street, I could see a lot of owners and ownerships interested in buying the Knicks. The Knicks right now, they sell out every single game, no matter how bad they are. The Knicks have won more than 50 games probably one time in 25 years. They've won two playoff series in my lifetime. (laughs) Uh, They don't win. A lot of people think that if they buy this organization and they build it the right way, 
way and they take it from him, they could find a way to bring in championships and win championships in Madison Square Garden in the Big Apple. A lot of people say that it's the mecca of basketball. Over the last 30, 40, even 50 years, it hasn't been the mecca of basketball. And that's been a huge problem. I don't blame James Dolan for everything because the guy opens up his pockets. The problem with him is he opens up his mouth too. And that has scared players away. A lot of players don't want to play for him. What he did to Charles Oakley and some ex-New York Knicks players that have worked with James Dolan over the years have had problems with him on and off the court. Now, if James Dolan does decide to sell either the Knicks or the Rangers or both of them, the questions will be, how is it going to work if he still owns MSG? That is going to be something that a lot of these owners are going to ask him. How are we going to separate the concerts and the money that the Knicks and the Rangers are going to bring in, not only through endorsements, but other ways when it comes to packing out the stadiums, bringing in the fans and the food deals that they have over there at Madison Square Garden. Right. Also, the marketability of the Knicks, it'll still be continue to go strong. When it comes to James Dolan, he does spend money, but he's had to pay a lot of these probably second and third tier free agents a lot more than they would get in other places, too, because people talk about all the time with Washington, how many bad contracts they gave out when Dan Snyder was there. And we were joking with Albert Hainsworth with Rich Cyber. But you look at the Knicks, they had to do the same kind of thing with Joe Noah, all those other bad Phil Jackson free agents and all the ones when they couldn't get LeBron when they were trying to get LeBron there. And they had to trade for Carmelo Anthony, but trade a lot like they had to do a lot of different things just because James Dolan was not liked by a lot of these players and how many players the Knicks are rumored for that struck out on and these trades that they were supposed to happen maybe that kind of thing changes with new ownership too because of that kind of thing but the revenue itself the money the revenue because of these NBA players make it work in New York too that's going to make it even bigger for the Knicks regardless of who's the owner I think if you are a New York Knicks fan and a Ranger fan you think about the story that he is not looking to sell these teams the only reason why he is doing that is to boost up the price on what he is going to sell these teams at. I think he's going to get more than $7 billion for the Knicks. I could see 8 or $9 billion coming out from the New York Knicks, and I could see with the Rangers, the Rangers getting Peter LaViolette, if they start to win with Peter, and they put up good seasons in the next two years, I can absolutely see him selling the Rangers for 5 to $6 billion. He can make maybe even $15 billion off of these two teams. So, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, he's not thinking about selling these teams. He is. He doesn't want to own a team anymore. He doesn't want to deal with it. He would like to keep the money in his pocket and his family. As long as he owns MSG, he's always going to bring in money and cash with all the deals that he has, not only with professional sports organizations, but also all the concerts that he is going to bring, including his own. So right. And whatever he builds in Vegas, too. It's probably yes. going to be something entertainment-wise, too. Yeah, he's doing that right yeah. now, and that's why I don't think he's even concentrating on selling the Knicks or the Rangers. But I believe Al Steinberger will sell the Yankees. In the next 20 years, the Yankees will be sold. There's no way the Steinbrenner family is going to keep the New York Yankees, as well as the Wilpons. When the Wilpons came out years and years ago saying, there's no way in hell, no matter how bad they are or how in debt they are, they're going to sell the Mets. And what happens three or four years later, they sell them to Uncle Steve. And they end up in debt in their own way, too. Thank you, Bernie Madoff. And just like they said that they're not going to sell SNY, I believe that in the next couple of years, they'll sell SNY to Uncle Stevie as well. Just trying to put up the price and try to get as much as they can for it. And that's what a lot of these business deals turn out to be. So if you're a Nick fan or a Ranger fan, you're probably going to be doing dances when that happens. Oh, yeah. SNY's Ian Begley reports that the Knicks are interested in trading for Giannis and could make moves for players he likes playing with. Giannis said on 
the 48-minute podcast. I'm in Milwaukee, and I'm a Milwaukee Buck, but most importantly, I'm a winner. I want to win. And if that's a better situation for me to win, the Larry O'Brien Trophy, I have to look at that as a better situation. Giannis has two years left on his current contract and has a player option in 2025. Giannis will make $45.6 million this season and $48.2 million next season. The Knicks have three players making over $20 million this season, but no $30 million contracts. Julius Randle is the highest on the team, making $28.2 million. What does this tell me as a New York Knicks fan? What does this sell to me as a New York Knicks fan? There's no way Giannis will be traded unless Milwaukee is a bad team. Milwaukee is still going to be a top five team in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference has not got better. I understand that the Celtics added Kristaps Porzingis. I also believe that other teams like the Chicago Bulls could be better this season. They started off really bad last season. I think they have a very good coach. I think they still have talent there. This could be a better season for the Eastern Conference. The 76ers, the Harden situation could absolutely change the value of maybe Embiid in the future, so maybe Embiid could be available. We've heard Carl Anthony Towns' name being brought up for the New York Knicks. It looks like the Knicks want a big man. They want an athletic big man that can change the offense for the better. Now, the problem is, right now, the Knicks have really struggled over the last couple of years shooting the three. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA on shooting the three. And I don't know if a big man that is not a good shooter, he's probably one of the worst big men shooters in the NBA. He's great at going into the paint. He's great at rebounding. He's great at all those other things that you expect a big man to do. And he's very athletic. And he can dominate going up and down the court. And he's a great defender. Also a bad free throw shooter, too. (laughs) He is not a good three-point shooter. That's what the Knicks should be looking for, is a good three-point shooter. A guy that can dominate at the three-point line. Not a guy that's going to dominate in the paint. Because I think the Knicks have enough guys that can dominate in the paint. Julius Randle being one of them. He is a good paint player. He forces three-point shots. When he forces three-point shots and he's off, he's horrible. He's a bricklayer. He's probably one of the worst when it comes to power forwards in the league when he gets cold. But... You have guys like R.J. Barrett that you gave an extension to. It was a good contract. He looked good in the tournament this past summer. He averaged about 23 points in the summer. He's not a good three-point shooter. Brunson is a better three-point shooter than we've seen at the one spot. They don't have any shooters. And bringing in a big man that could dominate in the paint, we have a guy that can dominate. He's not as good as Giannis, okay? He's not even close to Giannis. But Mitchell Robinson is one of the best defenders in the league, one of the best blockers in the league. And when healthy, he can give you a double-double, even a triple-double a game. Why go after Giannis when you can go after a Devin Booker? You added a Beal. Beal and Booker are the same player. Pretty much. They're the same player. Booker's a better defender, but they're the same player. When Phoenix realizes it's not going to work over there, they're going to have to trade somebody. And Devin Booker, over the last couple of years, has complained about this team and if he wants to stay there. He has three years left on his contract, and he's 26 years old. If this doesn't work with Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal, I can absolutely see that he becomes available at the trade deadline. And if he becomes available at the trade deadline, he fits better with the Knicks than Giannis does. And that, I believe, the Knicks need to hold up, take the breaks, 
Stop with these big men. The big men in the league is no longer. It's not going to dominate the league anymore. And it's not going to change the way it is because now all these big men need to learn how to shoot. And if they can't shoot, as they get older, it's not going to work. And I think Giannis, as athletic as he is, he is going to have problems as he gets older. Yeah, and you also look at the positional versatility of Giannis, too. He's definitely going to have value in that sense for him. if he does end up going from Milwaukee to another team. And you're still going to get a lot back. But the Knicks have to do better with both three-point shooting volume and three-point point shooting efficiency as a whole. Now, the Knicks were efficient three years ago when they made the playoffs as the four seed with their defense and their three-point shooting percentage being just good, but they, I think, attempted the fourth least three-pointers in the league. Like, they didn't really shoot it that much. And the Knicks even last year in the playoffs, too, I think the final eight teams, they shot the three-pointer the least, too. And they were allowing a lot of threes. Obviously, Miami was shooting the most threes, and the Celtics were shooting a lot of threes. The Knicks were barely doing it. So, I think they definitely need those types of guys. And if they do want to target Giannis, they're going to have to go with all shooters around him, too. You're Obviously, you're going to have to trade a lot of your young players in the trade, but try to trade guys that aren't the shooting types, not the Quentin Grimes and those types of guys. Maybe bring in just shooters. Giannis, Jalen Brunson, and Quentin Grimes and shooters at that point if you're going to go with that approach. But I agree with you. I would rather go after maybe Luka Doncic if he gets more disgruntled with Dallas or Embiid who can shoot the three for a big man very well. I don't really like him for the injuries, but if you can get him where he gets so disgruntled with the Sixers, maybe you take that chance. And Devin Booker. We were talking about it three years ago, linking Devin Booker to the Knicks at that time because that was before the Suns really rose into a good team. But I would be encouraged by it now. Too. And a lot of people are going to say, well, why don't you trade Bradley Beal? Bradley Beal has a no-trade clause. Right. So now that he's with Phoenix and he still has three years, yeah. Devin Booker doesn't have a no-trade clause. So he's the only guy that you can move at the trade deadline if it doesn't work out with Bradley Beal. And I don't think it will. I don't see it working out. Who's the point guard on this team? <laughs> there is no more Chris Paul. He's with the Golden State Warriors. How is it going to work? That is going to be the question many people are going to ask as the season moves forward. So if Bradley Beal is running the offense, Bradley Beal was not good at running the offense over there in Washington. So I don't think it's going to work. And if it's Devin Booker, he's not a point guard. It doesn't work. If you're going to use Kevin Durant as the point guard, we saw him do that in Brooklyn. It didn't work either, even though he can do it. He's older. He's 34 years old. He's at the tail end of his career. So. Already coming off an Achilles injury, too. Yes. I don't know if it's going to work. I think the Knicks need to put the brakes up. Devin Booker also was a client for Leon Rose. I can see that working out in the future for the New York Knicks better than Giannis. So I know Knicks fans are very excited about this Giannis thing. I think you should be more excited and hoping that Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and Kevin Durant don't work out in Phoenix. <laughs> when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some MLB conversation. Shea Otani gets surgery and will only hit next season as the doctors have said, but Tommy Fan does not speak very highly of the New York Mets work ethic. When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out World Wide Sports Radio by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Listen to the Loudmouth every single Wednesdays and Thursdays with me and Speedy Petey at 7 p.m. only on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. All you have to do is go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. 
Com. Shea O'Otani gets surgery and will only hit next season. Is he worth $600 million? His agent believes he is. Shea O'Tani had a successful surgery on his torn UCL, and his doctor said it did not require Tommy John's surgery. His doctor said this injury will clear him to hit as a designated hitter in 2024, but still won't be able to pitch until 2025. The Angels officially shut Otani down for the season after missing nine games in a row with an oblique strain at the start of September. One of the physicians that operated on Otani's surgery was also a team doctor of the Dodgers. Otani's agent says he still expects him to get a contract worth about $500 million this offseason. Otani had an Instagram post that ended with, go Halos, possibly implying there's a good chance he comes back. There's no way in hell Shea Otani comes back to the Angels. Because you're already hearing that Mike Trout could be traded in the offseason. If Mike Trout gets traded, what do they have? They have an old, overpaid Rendon. He's not the same player when he was with the Nationals, when he won a championship. This team is done. Ownership has thrown too much money in Albert Pujols and Mike Trout, even Shea Otani, all this money that they invested, and the team never makes the playoffs. They're not even a playoff team. They're in a division that they're competing with a young Seattle team, a Houston Astros team that won a championship last year. They do cheat, but (laughs) hey, if they get away with it, they get away with it. They didn't cheat last year. No, that's what we think we know. Well, true. Nevertheless, I do not see Shea Otani going back to the Angels. I've heard a little bit that the Boston Red Sox could be one of the teams that he'd be interested in going to. Yeah, no it's more crazy. high bloom there, so maybe they hire somebody who wants to take big swings. It's crazy. He has said that he is interested in the Boston Red Sox. He doesn't want to play in New York. I cannot see him going to New York. If he comes out east, I see more Boston than any of the New York teams. I think Boston will absolutely open their pockets. If you can get Shea Otani and you can get one of the best players, if not the best player in baseball, why would the Boston Red Sox say no? And they have enough ownerships that are going to want to spend even taking over from the GMs, too. If it's not the Red Sox on the East Coast, maybe it's a team like the Phillies. We know Dave Dombrowski loves to say. I haven't heard anything about the Philadelphia Phillies. I could see Mike Trout going to Philadelphia Phillies in the offseason. Yeah. I also believe the Mets are going to be in on Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be Shea Otani. I see more Mike Trout than Shea Otani for the New York Mets. But it is an interesting coincidence that, of course, the doctor that did his surgery also is the team doctor for the Dodgers, too. Is there going to be some kind of tampering involved with that kind of thing? Because the Dodgers obviously didn't spend a lot this offseason. They were purging a lot of their other contracts, so They've definitely been trying to save up for that big kind of move. We've also heard Seattle kind of after the All-Star break, too, having Ichiro over there, too. There's definitely that Japanese baseball reputation, high Asian-American He's not going to Seattle. I know everybody wants to believe that with the young team that they have, Ichiro is probably speaking to him and trying to persuade him to go to Seattle. He's not going to Seattle. It's either the Dodgers, San Francisco, the Padres, or the Red Sox. He's not going to the Yankees. He's not going to the Mets. He's not going to the Phillies. He's not going to the Marlins. The only way he comes to the East Coast is if the Boston Red Sox are into him and interested in him. It seems like he's interested in the Red Sox and the organization and what they're doing. I know Yankee fans don't want to hear this. and I'm one of those Yankee fans that don't want to see Shea Otani 17 times a year, especially as a pitcher. I don't know if he's going to be the same pitcher. This is not the first time he's had problems with his UCL. This is the second time. I don't know what type of pitcher he's going to be when he comes back from that. The 
guy's still a power hitter. The guy could still hit. The guy's going to give you 40, 50 home runs a year. He's going to give you 120, 130 RBIs. He could be an outfielder if they really want him to be. I think he could do all of those things if it doesn't work out as a pitcher. But nevertheless, I do believe the Dodgers are the front runner to get him. Of course. I don't think it has anything to do when it comes to doctors. It doesn't matter. All it has to do with money and location. If he likes that location and he likes that place... He's going to go there. And it's all about who's going to pay him the most. And I do not believe Uncle Stevie is going to give him $600 million. I know Mets fans want to sit here and believe that. It's not going to happen. And also the confirmation now that he's definitely not going to pitch next year, too, is going to eliminate some markets. Too. Absolutely. Now, now like you the ma- Yankees. The Yankees, the Mets, who definitely need pitching, too. Now, the Red Sox you brought up are interesting because they definitely need pitching as well. Are they going to be able to say, all right, we'll have you pitch this year and we'll still pay you that kind of money? I think the Yankees are in love with Yamamoto. Yeah. The Yankees oh, yeah. have a lot of international money. Actually, I think the Yankees have the most international money. They're going to make a bid. I am sure the Red Sox are going to make a bid. The Mets are going to make a bid. I think the Yankees are more interested in him. He pitched a hitter this year, and his ERA is ridiculous over there in Japan. The last time we've seen an ERA and a whip in Japan like this was Otani. I do believe that this kid is going to be the talk. He's still very young. I think that's where the Yankees are going to put all their eggs in the basket. I think when you look at the pitching element of it, that it's not going to be available to them next year. That's why I think it gives an advantage still to the Dodgers, to the Giants, and I know you don't think the Mariners, but the Mariners' starting rotation is so good that they're not going to need him for that kind of thing too, but the Dodgers, they find pitchers galore. Even with all those guys hurt this year, they're still finding ways to win. The Giants are a very good pitching factory as well. Has not been as much this year, but they know how to rebirth pitchers and develop pitchers well. So those are the three teams that probably don't need him to pitch, obviously, in 2024, now that that's confirmed, and have more leeway to give him that kind of money and still be able to be a competitive team this year. The Padres, you mentioned, it definitely fits their reputation with the way they like to spend money, but their pitching has been kind of down this year, too. They like open up their pockets. Yeah, besides Snell, who still might win the Cy Young Snell, but the rest of their rotation's been down. Musgrove's been hurt a lot of the year, too, so he has been the same as he was last year. You Darvish still looked old this year, too. Are they going to try to take that kind of chance? But I think those three teams, the Dodgers, Mariners, and Giants, all have so much leeway now. And you're right. The Giants still might try to outbid the Dodgers because they're the rivals in the same division. The Athletics' Tim Britton and Will Salmon report that Tommy Pham told Francisco Lindor that the Mets lacked work ethic. Fam told Lindor, out of the teams I played on, this is the least hardest working group of players and position players I have ever played with. Fam added that Lindor, Pete Alonso, and Brandon Nimmo had good work ethics. Fam has also played for seven different teams in his career, including the Padres team last year that has also been disappointing this year. Fam was one of seven players traded this season by the Mets. When you hear a story like this. Why is Buck Showalter still the manager of this team? Why is Billy Epler still a part of this organization? When you hear these stories, you haven't heard that with the Yankees. As bad as Aaron Boone has been this year as a manager for all the Yankee fans to throw him under the bus, and I'm one of them, I think his time here is enough. I don't think the players are following his lead anymore. I don't care what Aaron Judge says. I don't care what Brian Cashman has said. What we see, the eye test tells me that he's lost the locker room. Buck Showalter has lost the locker room his first year. 
This team cannot deal with an abrupt old manager who honestly had the talent to take this team back-to-back years to the playoffs and hasn't, have been under 500 with the talent that they've had on this roster. And Tommy Pham, I don't think Tommy Pham should speak because even when he was there, what was his numbers? Was he batting over 300? Did he have over 15, 20 home runs when he was traded this trade deadline? He didn't play enough to do so, but he was probably on pace. He was one of the few guys on pace. He wasn't. He didn't hit 300. He didn't hit 20 home runs. He shouldn't be speaking. This guy has never stayed healthy in his whole career. I remember when he was a great player on St. Louis. The guy couldn't stay healthy. He could never stay healthy. Now he's opening his mouth and throwing the Mets under the bus and the work ethic and this and that. He's telling Francisco Lindor, if I was Francisco Lindor, I would tell Tommy Pham to shut the hell up. Because Francisco Lindor is on this team, on this roster, and he's one of the captains of this team. I wouldn't like to hear a former player open his big fat mouth. You also look at some of the places the fam has played. You could definitely compare the Mets when we talk about team culture to some of the other teams he played for. Like you said, St. Louis. At that time when fam was there, I don't know if they made the playoffs every year, but they were always a pretty stable run team. There wasn't a lot of big issues. A lot of the issues of the Cardinals have had started kind of after he left. Then he goes to Tampa, and they're a very well-oiled machine. But then the Padres. He had a couple rough stretches with the Padres. Padres, and he was not one of their better players, so they traded him and obviously have spent more money, but now we're hearing Juan Soto complain about the lack of effort from a lot of these guys this season, too, which definitely shows a kind of lingering in that kind of workplace culture type thing, team culture type thing. We've heard that with the White Sox, we're supposed to have high expectations again this year, the Padres and the Mets. Those three teams have all fit in the same boat, too, and I was also reading, too, that Tommy Pham kind of wanted second batting practices, which Buck Showalter didn't want him to have, kind of separating some of the younger guys to have them train, get extra reps, and Buck Showalter didn't want it from there, and he named the three names, Alonzo, Nimmo, and Lindor as those three guys that had good work ethics, but who are these guys that are they really questioning? I don't think it's McNeil. I think McNeil was saying some good things about how he preps for games. Is there other veterans that could be vulnerable to the direction of this team, too? They traded a seven of them already, but are there more that are going to be bad stems if David Stearns takes over this team and says, we're going to have to move you guys now and create a new culture for this team? Because as much money as they have, the Mets, and how much as they've spent, there's definitely still a stench with a lot of these players on the way out that Max Scherzer's complained about. Jacob DeGrom has complained about now. And now Tommy Pham, with Lindor too, who's still going to be there for a while, has complained about with this team. And it's not a good sign if you want players to go there. It's never been a good sign for the New York Mets ever since they brought Billy Epler in. They brought Billy Epler in a couple of years ago. They bring in another guy, an executive that got drunk and got in trouble, <laughs> lost his job. This has been a big problem for the New York Mets. And you think that when Uncle Stevie took over this team, one of the richest guys in the world in professional sports, you would think that he would change the aftermath of the Wilpon story. It's been a little bit better, but how much better has it been? Mickey Calloway, everything that he did, all the perverted stuff he was doing with the reporters too, and GMs getting drunk. They had to go two GMs in one year. All this dysfunction that the Mets had, even at the start of Cohen's existence, make Brody Van Wagenen actually look more stable, believe it or not. That's as, not saying as weird as that sounds with the Mets. And yeah, they're going to have to find something that is going to just be a more, not as dramatic approach to this kind of thing. Because yeah, you're going to have some big contracts you're still going to have to work with. They traded Scherzer and Verlander, obviously, but you still got Lindor. You have to pay Pete Alonso, who is much as people don't want to say he's a leader, he's been absolutely a leader, especially for those homegrown Mets teams, these homegrown position players especially, that you're going to have to stay with. McNeil got paid, Nimmo got paid. Nimmo's had a good year, McNeil's had a down year for his standards, but you're going to be with them 
for the long haul. Those are the guys Alonzo likes, so you're going to have to pay him, too. And you're going to have to rebuild guys with good culture guys, especially these young pitchers that hopefully David Stearns could try to bring to the organization, whether it's homegrown or through trades. I don't know what the Mets are doing. I don't know what the Yankees are doing. So both New York yeah. teams are going to have big problems in the offseason trying to reboot. I think the Yankees will spend a lot of money this offseason. I don't care what Hal says. He's trying to get the payroll down. I don't believe it. I expect the Yankees to open up their pockets. They will go after any type of talent that they can get in the offseason that can make this team better because this team for the New York Yankees is not good enough to beat anybody. They've had problems all season long including the Mets. Both organizations are trying to figure things out. And the Yankees are barely 500. The Mets are under 500. That's not good enough. It's not good enough as a Yankee fan. It's not good enough for all the Mets fans out there, especially the money that they invested into these teams. The Yankees, the only team that's worse than them in their division is the Boston Red Sox. This division is only going to get better because Baltimore and Tampa have great farm systems, great pitching, and great ownership and great GMs. If you really look at the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays, go look at how many executives have gone on to be successful from those organizations. Yeah, I actually wanted the Mets to hire. I don't think it was Bloom. I think it was one of the other guys that the Rays had at the time off their World Series team. I wanted them to hire them before they brought in Billy Epler. I think the Orioles had a couple guys that were brought in from the Dodgers. That's the approach that you want to take now. Maybe the Mets are finding something with the Brewers, made the playoffs a lot with David Stearns. Bringing some new blood from other organizations, these well-oiled machines. I've always said the Rays are the low-market well-oiled machine, the Dodgers are the high-market well-oiled machine, and then the Braves and the Astros are the two in the middle that have been a little bit of both that have done very well so far and the Mets they're just a flashy team right now they're definitely not a well-oiled machine and the Yankees they've been like that in the past but they've got a little bit worse with that kind of thing here's what the Yankee fans need to look at if somehow the Yankees stay 500 by the end of this season it's not a successful season people are going to look at Brian Cashman hey they were still over 500 the Yankees haven't been under 500 since 1993 that's why Hal Steinbrenner will keep Brian Cashman as the GM of this organization Brian Cashman will stay here for one more year if Brian Brian Cashman can't get this team over the hump next year. Brian Cashman will be fired. They'll probably tell him to resign and let him go where he wants. But if this team doesn't figure it out in the offseason and add pieces to this team that can get him over the hump, because Garrett Cole could absolutely opt out of his contract after next year, and that makes him a free agent. And if he pitches another year like he did this year, he's going to win the Cy Young. If he wins the Cy Young, it's only going to boost up the money that he could get paid if he opts out of the contract. So Yankee fans, I don't know if you think, oh, we signed Aaron Judge, we're in good shape. That's going to sell to any team that is interested in Garrett, who could be a free agent in the offseason. You also look at like leadership and identity for the Yankees even too. Like Aaron Judge is a leader. Garrett Cole I think is a leader too. But are they going to find those other guys when they've had these kinds of veterans that have been brought in and just haven't been able to find it either? And the approach that the Mets were struggling with too, the lack of leadership with the veterans is something that the Yankees I think dealt with this year too. Not as badly, I don't think, not as dramatic as what we've seen with the Mets this year, but new faces are definitely needed. Whether it is Aaron Boone being the guy or just some of these veteran players. They already purged two of them, finally waving Josh Donaldson and buying him out and then Harrison mm. Bader, who I thought was a pretty good Yankee when he was healthy, but still not there enough. To he be able wasn't to do going that. to be re-signed by the Yankees. Yeah, and I think the Yankees knew that, and he knew that he was going to ask for a significant amount of money as a center fielder in the league. I mean, he's had a pretty good stint with the Yankees, and he's going to probably make about twenty-three million as a center fielder after this year. If the Yankees want him, they can make a move for him in the offseason. I don't think the Yankees believe that he is the future center fielder they had. Now right. Dominguez is out for eight to nine months. 
because he's going to miss most of the season next year. I think the Yankees are going to have to go into free agency and figure out for at least a year who is going to be the center fielder. I, it could be Floreal. If I were the Yankees, I would move away from Floreal. He yeah. has not been the player that everybody thought he was going to be as a prospect. Yeah, four years ago, he was a great prospect. Yeah. Think about that. He's fallen off, and I think the Yankees are in trouble this offseason because it's a better free agency market than it was last year, but the Yankees have a lot of spots that need to be filled, and Glaber Torres is going to want an extension. Are you going to extend him? Are you going to trade him? If you trade him, what are you going to get back for him? The Yankees are in a spot right now that they could be one of the worst teams in the American League next year, and that's crazy to say when we have seen this team dominate for over 30 years in the American League East. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely something that Yankee fans need to look at in the offseason. I'm not excited about the offseason because even though I believe they'll go after one or two pieces, I like this guy, Yamamoto. I think the Yankees will get him, but you bring in Yamamoto and then you lose Garrett Cole after next season, and then who do you have? Carlos Rodon and Yamamoto. And I like Carlos Rodon. And for all the Yankee haters out there that think that this (laughs) is a bad signing, I promise you Yankee fans, Carlos Rodon, if he's healthy next year in the beginning of the season, will be a lot better than he is right now. They really don't have a choice to go forward with him. You have to have some kind of young pitching on this team. He is not as bad as he's looked this year. He's not healthy, and he came back. I believe the Yankees made the big mistake of bringing him back. He should have just sat out for the year. Not healthy. Now you're going into the offseason. You had a hope that that shoulder doesn't need surgery to get healthy enough that he could step on the field and be the dominant pitcher he was over the last three seasons. Both of the Yankees and the Mets. Are these players going to trust their injury management to be able to do things right, too? Because that's been another thing that Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are obviously complaining about with the Mets, and definitely a lot of players with the Yankees, too, have been mismanaged so far this season. When we come back, we have Paolo, ladies and gentlemen, as we have, as always, money line mania. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. You can check out the Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey every Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. live as we have the best guests, the best content, and the craziest calls. All you have to do is go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com and check out all our listing times. It's been a great show. Thank you to our friend Rich Soybert for joining us. And now another good friend who's been on our show for the last past year, and we're very happy to have him on. We call this segment with Mr. Paolo, Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania. With Chaz and the crew. Chazzy. Chazzy, where are you? No, we don't have Chaz. We have the Greek sensation, Paolo. Paolo, what's up, man? How's it going, guys? The Champion League was good. Burns you out, you know, soccer? Soccer burns you out because there's so much markets. 
You really have to study hard. And the Champions League is like a Super Bowl. When you play the Champions League, the other leagues are just secondary. That's where all the big money is in soccer. Champions League. Everybody wants to win that competition. It's like the Super Bowl. To give you an example, like on one game, there's maybe 50, 60 million pounds just on one game, huh? So they're betting like millions on that thing. You just catch a goal when they score in the last minute and that's it. So it's really worth it. But mm-hmm. the NFL, the Jets last week, that quarterback man predicted it last week that they were going to get slaughtered. But I'm not convinced about this quarterback. They're going to have to make a trade. They need a quarterback. If you saw last week, they were playing against Dallas. The Jets defense, they got a great defense. They lost the game because Zach Wilson committed turnovers, but they can't beat elite teams, and I picked them to win the division. I told you the Ravens would win the division. Yeah. Look at Cincinnati, 0-2. The Ravens were trading at 3.65. The Ravens, so far, so good if they continue this, but Cincinnati's not looking at hot. My first play that I like a lot this week, this is the week that they got to start showing up. If they don't show up this week against the Vikings, is the Los Angeles Chargers. I like the Los Angeles Chargers this week to win. Because if you look at both games right now, they really haven't been able to stop nobody. They've been putting points up. They haven't been able to stop nobody. So now they're going against one of the weakest defenses in the NFL. If they can't beat the Vikings, the spread is plus one and a half. Who are they going to beat? I really like that game a lot. Moving on to the Jets game. The Jets, I'm seeing plus three. This game, I think it's the Jets season. If the Jets win this game, they're going to be 2-1 going against Kansas City, and they're playing at home. So I like the Jets to win at 2.32. The Patriots are very big favorites. But I think the Jets this week, with the defense they have, they can keep the game close and even cover the spread at plus three. This is one of my upset specials. I like the Houston Texans to go into Jacksonville, cover the spread and beat Jacksonville. The Texans, I love them the way I love the Buccaneers in week one to go to Jacksonville and win the game and cover the spread. It's too many points. Jacksonville last week, we said they were going to keep it close. But what did Jacksonville do? Not very much. In Kansas City, they didn't score much, but they won the game. But Jacksonville showed nothing. So now, playing this week, the Texans, that that 4.4 and plus 8.5, it's a pretty election. One game I particularly like, even though everybody's playing the Eagles to win, I see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning that game straight out. And the plus 4.5, the Eagles if you look at last week, they played the Vikings. The only reason they won that game is because the Vikings committed four turnovers. If they don't commit those turnovers, did you see their defense, how many points they gave up? So this week, the Eagles going into Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is 2-0. Baker Mayfield, for some reason, is playing amazing football. You're getting four and a half. And if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat them and cover the spread, then you're looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to be starved to be taken serious. Another game that catches my eye. Last week, you saw what happened with Deshaun Watson in the game with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had no business winning this game. If Deshaun Watson didn't play well at all, this week they're playing the Las Vegas Raiders. Spread is at two and a half. I don't think Pittsburgh's going to get much luck against this Raiders team because this Raiders team, they got offense, they got a good quarterback, and I think they can take this game. Then we have the other Monday night, the Rams with the Cincinnati Bengals. Remember I told you at the beginning that this year the Cincinnati Bengals, for some reason, I'm not convinced. I think the Rams go in there and not only cover the spread plus two and a half, but win the game also.
You're going away from your AFC Super Bowl pick, I say. Yeah, when I told you that the Baltimore Ravens is going to win the division, I saw something that Cincinnati is just not the same team that they were. Maybe it's the coaching, but the quarterback last week, they were dominated again. The Ravens are not that great to dominate the Bengals. Maybe they'll turn it around, but this week, the Rams plus two and a half. The spread, people are putting their money on the Rams for the Bengals to be that small a favorite. I like the Saints that are going to Green Bay and win. The Saints have impressed me. And you know what's impressed me about them? Their defense, yep. not guard. Their defense, and they're going this week into Green Bay because last week, remember, I told you the Falcons are going to beat them, and they beat them. So this week, you're going into Green Bay. And the Lions, we were correct last week, Seattle would cover the spread. This week, the Lions are playing the Falcons. The Lions are going to win this game. They cannot fall to one and two against this Falcons team that they're very good defensively. They still have a rookie quarterback. And even game of the week that I'm going to play is the LA Chargers to beat the Vikings. This Vikings team just can't get the job done. And the Chargers this week have to show up. I mean, they cannot go down 0-3 because they have been putting up points. They're not stopping nobody. This looks like an over, an easy over. Because you got two teams that can score, but they can't stop nobody. So who's the better quarterback in the two? I think Herbert is better than Kirk Cousins. The Chargers got a great pass rush. They're going to get it together, this team. This team is better than what they've shown so far. What do I tell you the Super Bowl? The San Francisco 49ers. You saw complete domination. Who's going to stop this team? Amazing defense, offense. Purdy's got his arm going. My friend, we put the money on when the season started, 11 to 1. That's dropped down to 7. They're number one. Believe it or not, actually, no. Still putting the money on the Chiefs. I don't know why people are still betting the Chiefs. But seriously, if the Chiefs play the 49ers, do you actually think the Chiefs are going to beat the 49ers? I think it's going to be the final on one side is going to be the Eagles playing the 49ers. And if the 49ers have home field advantage and they're healthy, this Eagles team cannot compete with the 49ers based on what they've shown defensively. Offensively, yeah, they can put up points. But look at the pass rush. On the other side, anything can happen. The Ravens could even make it all the way to the final. I haven't been impressed by any team besides the Ravens. But I love the 49ers. I told you in the beginning. The Bengals... I picked them at the beginning, but now 0-2. And, and imagine they go 0-3. You think they recover from that? No, I think only two teams have made it in the playoffs starting 0-3. One of which was the Chargers when they went to the Super Bowl. And I think the other one was the Texans 2015. There you go. So basically this week is their season on the line. But who's going to put money on this game? I mean, this is not a game to bet big money. I mean, soccer, the game of the week is Arsenal to beat Tottenham. This game is going to have goals. And Arsenal is going to prevail. Tottenham so far has been playing great soccer, but playing against Arsenal, Arsenal's a title contender. And this week, they're going to show, they're going to score at least over one and a half goals. This game is going over. Maybe Tottenham scores a goal, but Tottenham's not beating Arsenal. The Champions League, everybody's betting on Manchester City to win it. They're the big favorite. But Manchester City's not going to win the Champions League. The team that's going to win the Champions League is going to pay around 7-1. to one. There's a couple of teams that have been seeing some deficiencies on defense. One game that I checked this week was the Manchester United game with Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich this week was actually gifted this game because Manchester United has a problem with their goaltending. Their goaltending, instead of being upgraded, has been downgraded. And in soccer, if you don't have a good goaltender, Bayern were given two gifts. So far in the Champions League, the only team that looks pretty impressive is Barcelona. Barcelona won 5-0. They look pretty impressive. They were paying 1.28, but 
five nothing. That was a guaranteed winner. But from all the games that I watched, from all the teams that I like the most is Barcelona. Barcelona can score, and Barcelona is very tight defensively. If you look at Manchester City and Bayern Munich, they align goals. And if Barcelona keeps it going, they have a shot, and they were like eight, nine to one to win it because all the money's on Manchester City. And the baseball playoffs are starting. I mean, but the Yankees are not playing. That is the saddest. Not seeing the Yankees, I think they gotta make changes this year. I mean, this is disappointing. I think the team that's gonna win the World Series is with the one that you said. I said the Dodgers. I agree with you. I've seen the Houston decline. I've seen everything. Thank you, Paulo, yeah. for joining us. Good luck with all your picks this week. Let's see how we do in football this week. Well, always a pleasure, guys. Have a nice evening. Enjoy yourself. And good luck. The great Paulo. He hits and he wins. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a handicapper, you should be listening to this segment every single week. We have Moneyline Mania with Worldwide West and GMF John, who has his own reality TV show, waiting for that to hit the TV waves. But we're very happy to have Paulo. Thank you for joining us. And now, Speedy, when we come back, what do we got? Cravings time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Check out our great guests. Our great content and the craziest callers go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Thank you again to Rich Soybird. He was fantastic. Really, he really was. First time on a show and was a part of the 2007 Super Bowl champion, New York Giants. The unbelievable unbelievable win to knock off the undefeated New England Patriots and thank you to Paulo for Moneyline Mania he was fantastic showing up and giving us winners and guys I'm telling you bet on his picks he is dead on with his picks throughout the season but now ladies and gentlemen for our final segment of the week we do this every single week it's time for crunch time All right, we'll start with a battle of 0-2 teams that are not the quarterback's fault. Buy or sell. Both Kirk Cousins and Justin Herbert will have at least 300 passing yards in their matchup. Absolutely. I think this is going to be a high-flying game. We know what Kirk Cousins can do. All season long, he's been explosive. He's been, I believe, the best quarterback in the NFL. And Justin Herbert has not had a good season. But I think this will be a week with Minnesota's defense to be explosive. I absolutely buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. The Chargers are the worst pass defense in the league so far through two weeks. Have fun facing the best receiver in the football. Vikings pass defense is a little better, but Chargers weapons are still very good. And I think Quinton Johnson gets more involved this week, especially with no Eckler. I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Both top 10 teams, Ohio State and Notre Dame, both will score 30 points this week. I do not believe that's going to happen. I don't know if Notre Dame will, but I believe Ohio State will. Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of the most explosive players throughout the country. I expect him to be a top three pick. I think Notre Dame is more of a defensive team. They've had a pretty good offensive year, but I do not believe 
believe they're going to score 30 points this week. So I'm absolutely going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, but I'm actually going to flip-flop it. I don't trust Ohio State as much. They've underwhelmed on offense so far. Kyle McCord has not been a great quarterback so far. Ryan Day, we've questioned his coaching in the past, too. And Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, I think they found something. I'm actually thinking the flip-flop. I think Notre Dame wins this game, and they score 30 points, and Ohio State doesn't. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Both Garrett Cole, who has a 2.75 ERA, and Kadai Senga, 2.96, will have finished with ERAs under three. I do believe that Garrett Cole will finish under three. I don't know if Senga's going to. I love what Senga's done this year. I think the Mets have something with him. We have to see him do it in his second season. If he does it in his second season, I really believe they have something. But I know what Garrett Cole is. We know what Garrett Cole is. And I expect Garrett Cole, by the end of the season, to pitch in the twos. So I absolutely sell it. I'm going to buy it because I do think the Mets pitching staff, the younger guys, have been loose in the month of September, kind of pitching more freely. The Marlins and the Phillies, both kind of with playoff pressure at this point, and their offenses have been kind of down in the second half of the season. So I think Senga will, and I definitely think Garrett Cole will. It's going to take a really bad outing for 2.75 to drop down. I am going to buy it. All right, Eagles-Bucks game. All four of A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Godwin, and Evans have 70 or more receiving yards. I do buy it. I think this is going to be a very explosive game. I think all four players are explosive and going to be explosive in this game. Baker Mayfield will be able to get the ball up to Mike Evans, who's had a fantastic year so far. Godwin will be explosive. I do believe Smith and A.J. Brown will have one of his better games, so I absolutely buy it. I'm going to sell that one. This is, I think, the first time you're going to see Mike Evans kind of contained more. Darius Slay had a great year last year, and the Eagles have been more vulnerable against the slot and against the tight ends. I love Godwin in this matchup. Slay has problems with big, wide receivers. It's definitely possible, but Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown definitely will. I just think Evans, he's in one of those guys in recent years that has this big week, and then he'll have a down week. I think this is a down week for him. Evans will get some tough catches, but not enough. I am going to sell that. All right, we'll go back to college football. Penn State at home, number seven against Iowa. will cover 14 and a half. Absolutely. I think Penn State is one of the best in the country. I think they've been very explosive. They have one of the best young quarterbacks in all of the nation. I absolutely buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I know Iowa's offense has overperformed a little bit, but this is their first real test. Like you said, Penn State with Drew Aller, a quarterback, definitely a lot better than Sean Clifford last year. That's for sure. And that defense at home, I absolutely buy that. Buy or sell. Both the Falcons and the Lions will rush for over 120 yards as a team. I am going to sell it. I do not believe the Lions will. I believe Atlanta will. I love what B. John Robinson has done, and I don't believe the Lions are going to be able to stop him. I absolutely am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I know the Lions did a good job last week against Kenneth Walker, and I do think it'll give Atlanta fits when it comes to efficiency, but not in terms of I think they'll still get 120 yards. And while David Montgomery's run the ball well, Jameer Gibbs struggled last week. So I agree with you. I will sell it. All right, one more. Giannis will be traded this season. Absolutely. I just don't know if it's going to be the Knicks. I think the Knicks are better off going after Devin Booker. He's a wing shooter. I think he's quite possibly one of the more underrated players that nobody is talking about. If Bradley Beal does not work out in Phoenix, I think he's a better fit for the Knicks. I don't know if Giannis will be traded this year, but if he isn't, he'll definitely go into free agency because he will opt out of his contract and go wherever he decides to go. But I'm going to buy that he will be traded at the trade deadline. I am going to sell that one. He does have the player option, obviously, after the two-year deal, but this year will not be the year that it falls off for the Bucs. I know they have a new coach. I think it's going to take a little while for Giannis to be, I guess, quote-unquote disgruntled like you would expect a superstar player to be. I think they still have enough depth to stabilize themselves one more year, and I think the year after, that's when other teams could get better in the East with the money, and that's when I think he'll be traded. I don't know if it'll be the Knicks. I'm thinking more Luka Doncic for the Knicks if Dallas falls apart. I think that's more possible. And Devin Booker, I could see too.
to, but I don't think Giannis gets traded. I am going to sell it. Here's why I think Devin Booker is the perfect fit for the New York Knicks. And I'm going to say this for all the Knicks fans out there that want Giannis. Giannis is not a good shooter. The Knicks need a wing shooter. They need a three-point shooter. I don't know if Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker are going to work over there in Phoenix. I think they're going to fall apart really, really early. Bradley Beal has a no-trade clause, and we all know what Kevin Durant is. He's 34 years old. He's not getting any younger. They're not going to get much for him. They could get a lot for Devin Booker, and that's why he is the best piece they can trade. And by the way, Leon Rose was his ex-agent. I think Devin Booker makes a lot of sense for the New York Knicks. Anyways, I hope everybody stays safe, stay dry. Remember, it is a bad storm throughout the weekend. It's a tropical rainstorm. So I advise everybody, if you are not driving to an important place when it comes to family or work, stay in and stay dry. Thank you to Rich Soybert. He was fantastic. Thank you to the New York Giants and the Super Bowl championship. The great championship that he won in 2007 with the New York Giants. And thank you to Paulo for giving us the time, as he always does in Canada. Mr. Greek Sensation. We have been here for a very long time, for three years. Thank you to John, Pat, and Bruce for letting us do what we do best. We're so happy to be here and entertain you guys and continue entertaining you guys in the future. We'll be back next week, but I won't. I will be on a cruise, ladies and gentlemen. But we will still be doing the Weekend Crunch. I will have a fill-in. Josh Silverberg will be joining Speedy Petey next week. So stay tuned, and I will be back the week after. I will be here for Wednesday for the Sports Loudmouth. So tune in on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And then, ladies and gentlemen, I will sail away. Take me away. I'm not a singer, ladies and gentlemen, and I am not Christopher Cross, but ladies and gentlemen, I will be sailing away for a couple of days, enjoying the sun, and I will be back the week after for the Weekend Crunch. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night and enjoy week three of the NFL. Good night, everybody.